Lovely to be here this morning on Sunday morning and and you know I just am so amazed at how quickly this three days has flashed past for me personally so and it's nice because you feel like you've become quite a little community of oh you know we're at the same sessions again so it's really lovely to see those familiar faces and it's such a pleasure for me to be able to host this panel today so I'm going to do a few little introductions um, of these three wonderful authors that we've got here. Um, Wellington-based author Kirsten McDougall is the recipient of numerous awards and accolades for her writing. She is the author of three novels and is a prolific short story writer as well. She's a Killer, which is the book that um, a lot of us have been reading and enjoying this week, prior to this weekend and discussing this weekend, is set in New Zealand a few years from now when an influx of Welsh UGs uh, have added to the climate change chaos. The story is centred around a borderline genius sociopath woman called Alice. And if you haven't read it, you really must, because it's, it's such a gripping story. Uh, Sue Orr is an award-winning author of two short story collections and two novels. Sue teaches creative writing at the International Institute of Modern Letters at Victoria University of Wellington and holds a PhD and Masters in Creative Writing from that university. Sue's latest novel, Loop Tracks, is set in New Zealand and is written in real time against the progress of the COVID-19 pandemic and the New Zealand general election and euthanasia referendum. It also shines a light on a fascinating moment of history in New Zealand in the 1970s when women had to travel to Australia for abortion. Auckland-based author Rebecca K. Riley received the 2019 Adam Foundation Prize in Creative Writing. Her debut novel, Greta and Valden, was published in 2021. At the 2022 Ockham New Zealand Book Awards, it was shortlisted for the Jan Medlicott Acorn Prize for Fiction and received the Hubert Church Prize for the Best First Book of Fiction. She has said that her novel, of her novel, that it's the kind of book that people can read what they want into, whether that's a cute little book where nothing much happens, which you can read in one sitting, or a very complicated book about radical politics and how autism presents differently in girls and boys. People can read whatever they want in books. You're just lucky as a writer if people don't hate whatever they find. <laughs> so to reassure you all, <laughs> we love what we found in all of these amazing works that, that we've been celebrating this weekend. <clears throat> and it's my pleasure to facilitate this panel of discussion today. And <clears throat> we've been given a really broad brief um, to discuss creative process and inspiration, multi-generational perspectives on literature in New Zealand, and the rich topic of women in modern literature, um, whether that be as female protagonists or as writers yourselves. Um, so I think we should start with what really struck me when I read this brief, which is, why are we still discussing your role as women writers in 2022, as opposed to your role as writers and how do you feel about that? Who wants to, <laughs> who wants to start? I'll, I'll start then. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, good, great question. Great question. I don't, um, it's, it's funny, I don't think of myself as a, um, a woman writer when I sit down to write, I'm just writing. Um, but I did, um, you know, ahead of this panel, think about my 
reading habits. That was an, almost an easier place for me to start. And I realised that I mostly read books by women. Yeah. And I think that a few years ago I started really um, consciously seeking those voices out. And as I've gotten older, I just... I want to read about other women's experiences, particularly now um, ageing. I'm a parent. Um, yeah, so... But, and, and, and I end up writing women as well. I'm just, yeah. But do you... How do you... <laughs> it's funny because, you know, I've written two novels and both have had women and women's concerns at the heart of them, I guess. Mm. Um, and it's a discussion that sometimes we have as a group of writers about... Um, we write what we want to write, but the world's moving on around us. And, you know, we're in an era now where there are big questions about who has the right to tell certain stories. Um, uh, can a man write um, with authenticity a female narrator, first-person protagonist? Um, and I, I hope the answer to that is yes and continues to be yes because I want to write men character, male characters. Um, and having come off the back of two, two novels with women at the heart of them, um, my next project, which I'm only just starting, I'm I'm right off piste. <laughs> I'm um, my you know m one of my main characters is going to be a 50 year old gay man, um, and you know I venture forth in great fear, but also with great excitement, and at the challenge of. Um, being able to enter that world and give it um, give it the integrity it deserves. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's an interesting one. Yeah, I'd never I'd never written a female protagonist before I wrote this book. Um, I find it really difficult to write female characters. Um, I feel like you know you make the slightest misstep and they become so unbelievable. You're you're just like no no one would ever do that. Whereas I feel like when I write male characters, I'm like, oh, yeah, anyone could buy that. Anyone would, um, any man would do this. Um, but I was like, oh, I should, I should have a female protagonist because there's so many male characters in this book and I didn't want everyone to think that I was sexist. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. yeah, and it, and it's it's interesting, like hearing you, your responses because there's that filter of yourself you know, not wanting to get it wrong or, or what's that responsibility. But but I like that as well, Rebecca. It's almost like I'm more liberated if I'm writing a character that's not me. Um, which, yeah, there's, there's other things that are, I've, I've, I'd like to come back to that. Um, here's another. I, I, I had the pleasure of attending the, the, the interview sessions that all of these authors had, so I was sort of taking notes and listening. And, Rebecca, it sounded like with the attention your novel has received, you know, you've also had to deal with some negative feedback, as any writer does, or attention. Um, you, you end up in the spotlight somewhat when you publish a book. And you were talking about having written in detail about Auckland. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people might be saying, this girl is just walking around taking notes in her notebook and calling it a novel. Um, did and someone actually say that? Yeah, it was a landfall review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I knew we were going to be talking today, and it really struck me when you said that, um, the sense of being totally diminished by a critic or a commentator um, for what's a really incredible work of art. And I wondered if that's, I mean, 
do you think this is a, a unique experience for women to be sort of shrunk like that, or or is this a shared experience for authors when you when you talk with other um, writers? I think that um, women are more likely to be assumed to be the protagonist of their books. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I think people often find it hard to conceive of women having a strong imagination. So when I think often when people read books written by women, they just assume that she is the main character. Even if they're, you know, even if in my book there are two protagonists, people would only assume that, you know, Greta's life is similar to my life, which I find that, you know, if I was more similar to one of them, it would definitely be Velda by far. Um, yeah, I don't know where that kind of assumption comes from, but um, it it sure is annoying. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think there was, um, I say was, and I don't know if it's quite in the past tense yet, but there used to be this um, idea that women's fiction was, um, you know, this, this term domestic, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, I always loved to read books because actually domestic fiction is often about families, which is um, also about politics and, you know, and just living. Um, but I think women used to get this um, kind of label put on them, and it was a diminishing label. Um, but to me, like, the, the thing set in a home around the hearth, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's actually, that's, um, that's the stuff of life. And I don't know if that's still happening. I don't, I don't feel particularly singled out for um, criticism as a, as, a, as a woman writing, but... I don't know, like I don't know that yeah. it's harder on me than it has been on, say, some of my male peers. I'm not, mm. I don't have a sense of that, but do you? I feel like a little bit at the moment there are not many male novelists yeah. in my kind of peer group, I guess. Mm. So, it's, yeah, it's difficult to compare because it hasn't happened yet. They haven't sprung forth so much. Mm. Yeah, I think there was this thing where, like, men would write about the big world, you know, um, politics, halls of power, that kind of thing, and, yeah, but I I feel like that's really changed. Maybe I'm living in a weird bubble. I don't know, do you? Well, I'm just thinking about, you know, um, Kirsten and I both teach at Victoria University, teach creative writing, and the composition of the young writers coming through the system, I'll call it that, it's mm-hmm. not a system, but, um, you know, the ratio, you know, you have 12 people in the in the class, you've got, say, 30 to 40 applicants to choose from, and um, it's, you know, um, probably the ratio of males applying and entering the courses, they're probably, you know, you're lucky if it's 25%. If you know that's that would be generous, um, and so you know the. Of course, our literature is going to be full of um, things that interest women. If if eighty percent of our writers are women, you know, it's a, mm. it, it, that's just the maths. But um, I wonder where the young men are actually yeah. coming through. The what are the dudes doing? What are the dudes doing? Yeah. Are they you know? Is it that thing? Oh, we don't really need to train because we'll just we do know, free practices. We know it all already. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I feel like I've encountered this. Like, oh, I don't need to go to any course. Like, it's just a waste of time and money and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to forge on on my own and then 
be discovered. It, it doesn't work out <laughs> very well. <laughs> or are they all off actually making video games and um, yeah. money? You know, like money. they're actually yeah, yeah, films and TV and. Um, which, you know, and we'll be, you know, five years from now, shit, why weren't we doing a video game training? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I must say in my, the last crop of applicants that I looked through um, in order to choose my students for the next course, I had, an, and this course I teach is short fiction, you know, you learn how to write short fiction, which is a distinct genre. And I think, you know, I did have quite a few dudes apply, but all of them were hoping to enhance their video game narratives. <laughs> yeah. Can I just ask about a question about your, like, um, Greta and Greta and Volden? Mm. When you're writing Greta and then Volden, and you just said Volden is, you feel, is more you. Yeah. Did you, um, did you go, I'm writing male, I'm writing female? Like, no. No, I don't do that either. No, I was like, I'm writing the character. I'm writing the character. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, yeah. sometimes I'd be like, I'm writing the character who I relate to, like, in terms of age. And then I was like, no, I'm writing the younger character who's yeah. more yeah. out of control. Yeah. That's how I yeah. feel. To- I'm writing a character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about yeah. gender very much like, in lockdown. And then I remember I went to the supermarket for the first time in ages. And then all these men shouted me at me out of a van. And I was like... <sighs> Oh my god, I'm a woman. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. Even even the other night we were just walking to the new world and then some guys out of a van yelled at us and then we were like, We're thirty. Like <laughs> You've got the wrong people. Was that, was that before or after you'd been told you were a girl just walking around taking notes in her notebook and calling it a novel? Both before and after. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just won't stop happening. Yeah. You just feel like you're like gonna get to a place in your life where you're like okay I'm too old now no one's allowed to shout at me it will happen <laughs> and then you'll just be oh you're Francie's mum <laughs> um, yeah. uh, Rebecca you also mentioned last night there's a lot of queer characters in your books and, and your response was I, I forget people are straight yeah. Um, and I wondered as well like is it, it, you've sort of both touched on this Kirsten and Rebecca just now it's like I mean, does it actually matter? Is it relevant? Do we have to um, have lived experience to actually imagine a character and bring them to life in a book? I think you need to um, breathe life into your characters. So, like, I need to feel that each character is speaking the way they speak and using the sort of language that's appropriate to their to their lives and lived it. So I need to have done the the thinking and imagining behind the character to be. And, you know, um, so the other part of that question is, um, you know, where, where does that stop, I guess? And, yeah, there are, there are people that I'm, I'm not going to write, say, um, the experience, like, um, I don't know if anyone went on Thursday evening to Bas Nazari's talk yeah I think that that's an experience I probably wouldn't try and write because I haven't I don't know enough I don't um yeah and that's not mine to write that story is not mine to write there are plenty of stories that are mine to write don't need to do yeah Mm. I feel the same way about writing from ethnicity um I you know I feel in terms of Maori and Pacific writing in New Zealand um I'm of the school that thinks I will stand aside and leave that space for people 
for for whom it's their story to tell. Um, and, you know, you can have all the good intentions in the world to write the character correctly, but actually just shut up, move across, and make the space that should have been there all along for, for mm. um, it, you know, a cultural, writing from a cultural point of view. Um, and... Yeah, I mean that's not to say there won't be Maori or Pacifica characters in my book, but I don't, I don't feel I have. It's not for me to tell their stories. Yeah, I think the hardest one is teenagers. I think <laughs> like that's the most jarring type of character to read in someone's in an adult's fiction. You know, they do a teenage protagonist, and you're like, oh, this is not how teenagers talk at all. Like, I mean. Obviously, I think that you shouldn't really be writing into, like, cultural experiences you don't have. But, like, that's the one that always gets me. Like, oh, they, I don't know if anyone's said that in the last, like, 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe as a parent of teenagers, you might yeah. get, get a bit of a shot at it. I mean, yeah. I, have, I have been that person, so, yeah. But I know the trends move on so quickly. Yeah. Your book could never come out fast enough yeah. to capture the moment, yeah. <laughs> the language. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe you can write about your teen experience. Yeah. Set back yeah, yeah, in yeah. The, you know, like for me, I was, you know, late 80s and the 90s, you know. So there's stuff that is, you know, I just know. Yeah. I, I can feel how it can just tap into yeah, the, yeah. the texture and the smell of yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So is there research that goes into, you know, if you are wanting to develop a character that, that, that does have different experience from, from you or, you know, is there research that you, you do to, to, to get that confidence if it's really important to have that person in the, in the story? Um, well, I can speak about the work that I'm just starting and I won't say anything about what it actually is, but... Um, I'm taking counsel from five gay men who are hands-on, shall we say, with the plot. <laughs> and they will tell me in no uncertain terms what I've got right and wrong. Um, but um, not only are my protagonists not of, not that, you know, they're outside my lived experience, but the world in which I'm setting the story is also outside my lived experience. So... Unlike loot tracks, which, you know, I could have written that without, apart from the help of Margaret Sparrow um, on, on certain things, um, you know, the, my teenage friends went off to Australia to have abortions or went away to faraway places to have babies. Um, everything about this new work that I'm starting is outside. So I am researching and I love research, so I'm very happy about the space that I'm in at the moment. But it's only when I think I can kind of start to understand the world that I'm going to enter that I would, I'm starting to write at the moment. Mm. Yeah, so research is really important mm. for me. Mm. How about for you, Kirsten? Um, well... I have a degree in history, but I don't enjoy research a huge amount. I like to um, – one of the things I take um, from my history degree is to – I really enjoyed trying to get a sense of tone and texture of a period. Um, but actually you get that through fiction and film. And, yeah, so there's a sort of a way of reading historical documentation alongside um, – not just stuff that's produced in the same era, because obviously that's not possible if you're setting something in, say, the 
16th century, you know, they weren't making films back then. But, um, yeah, but I, I'm not... I, that's just not... The fiction doesn't spring out of research for me. It's not, it's not a place I go to um, to get ideas, really. But if I need to consult... But what the thing I will do is I'll write a scene first and then consult and see what I got wrong. And it's I think it's really interesting that if you have um, kind of strongly imagined your way into a character, you'll often get things right. And it's just stuff like what kind of pot were they using in this, you know, era or you know, the cloth and this sort of thing. Um, yeah. So I'm not I'm not big on it. Mm. But but I also I mean I love I love people that. I love books that do that. I mean, I loved um, the Mantell trilogy about Cromwell and, um, yeah. Mm. So, mm. yeah. What about you? Yeah, I, um, I love research. Um, but, yeah, not really like in terms of character, only like really for place, I think. Mm. Or um, I, like to, I like to know the kind of... Um, what was popular in whatever era I'm like trying to write into, even if it was only five years ago or something like that, just checking like what were the sort of big news stories or what were the, what movies had come out or what songs were popular. I think that that really helps me more than anything. And yeah, I guess a little bit with character as well. Like sometimes you have to check things like what year did the Champions League start if you like want to put in something about someone being a fan of football when they were younger or something. Yeah, like that kind of research. But I don't think that I would, you know, I'm not going to be Googling, like, what does it feel like to be from Papua New Guinea and mm-hmm. <laughs> write about that? That would be wild. But that stuff as well, like the, you know, what what was the number one hit? Mm-hmm. You know, what was the earworm everyone yeah. had mm-hmm. in that particular month? Like, if you know that yeah. and it's wrong, yeah. it's so irritating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah that kind of thing. You have to get that stuff. It has to be right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had to do... Um, I I was just trying to write one line a couple of weeks ago about uh, someone complaining that um, they were felt kind of socially isolated and all the other girls at their high school had snuck out to go to this concert. And then I had to look up which concerts happened in Auckland in 1985 (laughs) and then was just kind of stuck in that hole for hours being like, oh, my God, like... This is amazing. <laughs> All these, you know, David Bowie was there. Oh, the bands that used to tour. Yeah. Like, amazing. in the 80s and 90s, it was, yeah, phenomenal. And then, I, yeah, I was just researching the history of Berlin, the band, for a long time after that. So it's hard for me to not get stuck into doing this and then for the purpose of, like, one sentence. <laughs> yeah. Um. So your face lit up yesterday when you described your characters being so alive that you even dream about them, mm-hmm. which I thought was just a was a really fascinating um, thing to share with us. And Rebecca, you referred to the Gretaverse that is within your book. <laughs> and Kirsten, you spoke about form and narrative that we carry within us. So you all spoke about gestation that your imagination asks of you. And it got me thinking about this innate feminine and masculine energy that we all have and use, whatever work we're doing. Um, So I wanted to ask, do you ever consider this connection to some co-creative feminine energy to be part of your superpower as a woman author? No, I feel like I totally struggle. (laughs) I'm like, I, 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 
don't know what women are like at all. <laughs> yeah, I guess. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry, can you say, what's the last, I don't quite understand the question. The last I part, I'm it, wondering about whether, you know, is there a reverence around this, this being a conduit for imagination um, and perhaps associating that, that, that gestation of your imagination being more into the feminine. Okay, so a, part, a very strong part of me goes, absolutely fucking, oh, sorry, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I don't like reverence around art. Like right. I actively work against. But then and there's another part of me that goes, actually some of the spiritual parts of my life are, you know, head around music and, mm. um, and, and reading. And yeah, so I'm very conflicted around this sort of thing. Um, I'd, no, I mean, I just, I, I, I think writing is really hard work, mm. and, and so for me, it's, um, it's, it's, getting disciplined and saying now, actually, just sit down and do the work mm. now, Kirsten. Stop mucking around and scrolling through Twitter, and mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, because actually, if you are going to open yourself up to the the really good sentences, the ones that just flow, mm. you need to be working really, really hard and you need to be sitting down at your desk for a while and you need to be immersed in your characters and the and the room that the rooms that they're in and where they're speaking. Mm. And so in a way you could say, well that is sort of a kind of um I really hesitate to use the word kind of spiritual experience, but it is a creative, it's a certain type of creative energy, yeah. Mm. But I never want to turn it, like I really do think I've got um Friends say, um, my husband is a um, um, composer for film and TV and has worked in music all his life. And we've got, you know, my friends who are lawyers and doctors who say, oh, you've got such an amazing life. It's so, and I'm like, I'm just the same as you, you know? Like, Mm. I don't ever want art to be seen as this thing that's like available to certain people Mm. because I really feel like creativity exists in all fields. Oh, absolutely. You it's know? just that perhaps you, you're more conscious of that than a lawyer or a doctor. I don't know. I guess that's, I'm kind of curious about that, whether you feel that yeah, sensitivity. I've never, I've never I've, I don't know, I've never thought about myself as being creative or had anyone yeah. kind of say that to me. Mm. I think when people find out that I'm a writer, they feel sorry for me. <laughs> and they ask me what my day job is and I say I don't have one. And they're like, oh, well things will pick up. Um, yeah, so I guess I don't, I've, I've never felt any kind of special sort of spirituality or reverence for what I do, just guilt. <laughs> um, yeah. So you, you, you mentioned like that chill that you got when, when your friend was telling you the story and it yeah. was like that's, you, you grabbed that creative yeah. idea yeah. and ran with it. Yeah. What are your thoughts about this? Um, well, firstly, I would say that I, don't, I wouldn't ever categorise whatever it is we're talking about, I don't think of it as a feminine energy. Mm-hmm. I just think of it as an energy mm-hmm. and, a, you know, um, but... Um, you know, my background is in journalism. I was a daily newspaper journalist for 17 years in my previous younger life. And um, 17 years of journalism will give, will teach you, if you don't already have it, um, recognising um, 
there's a thread of a story there, and if I pull it, what am I going to find? And um, that never, I don't think that ever goes away. And so um, I apologise if any of you were listening to me yesterday because I will just say something again. So, you know, the story behind Loop Tracks was a friend of mine on a plane um, going to Australia to have an abortion, and um, I knew that story already. I knew that happened in New Zealand history, and so we, she was talking to me about it, and then she said, oh, and the bloody plane was delayed for six hours, and that's when I went, oh, there's the moment, because the scope of those six hours for a young woman or any age woman sitting on a plane to re-examine her, what she's about to do, and the doors are locked, so there's no distraction, that, to me, that was the frisson, you know, and I think, you know, two things happen for me when I go into a space where I think, I think I know what I'm going to write about next. There's got to be a something like that happen, which is just that kind of chilly moment. But then also, um, you know, a character or characters that are going to be complex and flawed enough to carry a story um, for, for the duration of a novel, which is like a marriage. It's a very long relationship you're going to have with this piece of work. So... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if we talk about any kind of energy or mysticism, mm. I, I can break it down to those two factors quite quite easily. And I, I can't engage my my mind with it until both of those components are there. Mm. Yeah. It's mm. fascinating. Mm. Um, a, a lot of authors, and I think so, Kirsten, you both spoke about this yesterday, the way you know characters take on life of their own. Mm. Um, and they sort of end up doing things that you might not have even planned. Um, and Kirsten, you referred to the veracity needed in a character's mm. voice. Mm. Can, can that be really unnerving when a character's coming out that's very different from yourself or is perhaps saying things that, like, where did you come from? Or you know, <laughs> Oh, I just think, oh, my God. God, you've buried that one away, Kirsten. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, no, it's lovely. It's cool when that happens because yeah. it means actually you're in a zone and you're on you're on fire, whatever, however you want to call it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like, um, I love those little details that that mm. leap up and surprise you. And I th- I just think, oh, I'm doing something right now. You know, I've got I've got it. It's happening. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, with Charlie in the novel, you know, she burns her polar fleeces and shags the neighbour. You know, I didn't see that coming, but there you go. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I thought, go you, girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rebecca, do you have this experience also where characters yeah, behave? I and I can't remember that particularly happening. But I think sometimes you write something and you're like, oh, maybe I should tone that down. But then, you know, you're like, oh, I guess the character would have just done this, so yeah. I'm just going to stay like that. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. You, you, is, it, is it hard as an author when, you know, like your character did this thing, then it's people perhaps wanting to always assume that this story is very much about you or, well, you, you know, did you do that or, or is that based on me? You know, do you get mm. this kind of, well, do you get more accustomed to that as, as a as you grow into your writing journey? Well, I, I was at a um, Christmas party 
And um, this woman who I know, I don't see her very often, but I, I you know, I, we always get on really well. And she's acting really weird around me. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? What have I said? Yeah. And um, then she, she um, actually, she sort of avoided me for the whole party. And then that evening we got home and I said, so, um, uh, my husband, oh, what? And he goes, oh, you had a long talk to her. She really loved the book. But she, she, said, she said to him, I was reading the sex scenes and thinking, is this cursed? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I wish she'd said something to me because I would have, you know, talked to her about that. <laughs> so why do you think she was avoiding you? I think she just felt like she'd seen inside me, maybe, in a way that she didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Have either of you had experiences like this where people who know you have responded in an unusual way? Oh, I think when my when my like friends first started reading my book, they read themselves into everything. <laughs> they were like, "Oh, like oh, like my friend Amelia was like, oh, my girlfriend Maddie is upset because you wrote this joke about coming out as bisexual and cutting off all your hair about her haircut she got last year. And I was like, I didn't know she got her hair cut last year. <laughs> like, I, think, I feel like things like that kind of happen like all the time when people are like, oh, you... Or like um, my ex read an early manuscript and then messaged me in the middle of the night saying, did I ruin your life by going on holiday to Argentina that time? And I was like, no, I wrote that before you did that. And he was like, oh, okay, it's all right, I'm really drunk. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just, you know, there are things that you're like, oh, I feel like this, maybe this part of the scene is kind of based on an interaction I have. I hope that that person doesn't feel upset by it or anything. But it's not that. It's just all the things that have totally nothing to do with everyone and they would just read themselves into it anyway. Mm. How about you, Sue? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I actually have got to a point now that I don't care whether people might think that these are my experiences or not. You know, that actually doesn't worry me, except for my family. You know, I respect my family. And, of course, I deeply respect the person who gifted me the story for Loop Tracks and um, right through the process from would I even write this story, was done with her blessing and um, the book's dedicated to her and she has been, you know, we, we talk often about it. And um, so I care about her. Um, I care about my children and my husband and my parents and people who have to actually listen to other people talk about your book, mm -hmm. uh, particularly a book like that, which is, you know, full of, you know, trauma and contra controversy and um, but you know if you if you want to write about things that are traumatic and controversial then you can't tiptoe around it you just got, got to write your story um, and um, let it be out there and talk to the people you love about how what's in it before it comes out <laughs> is ideal. Um, but, you know, you start negotiating and you've, you're left with nothing of, of the things that you actually really want to write about. Mm. So um, I probably cared a little bit more about kind of, oh, do people think this is me with um, The Party Line, which was my first novel, mm. because it was very distinctly set in the area where I grew up. Um, and I did have to have some kind of awkward conversations with my family about it, but never for a minute was I going to abandon the project, and I think they could see that. 
So, um, you know, really I just renamed place names with fic- fictional names in that book. So that was probably closer to the bone than loop tracks. Mm-hmm. But anything I write from now on, I think, you know, you do get more and more, I don't know, tougher, I suppose, about it. Because you have to ask yourself, if you're going to worry about this, then you'll end up writing nothing. So, yeah. Mm. And, um, you know, and and on the other side, I imagine also there's a lot of probably far more really positive experiences where maybe people approach you or events like this where it's like, they share what they got from your book or what it meant to them mm. or, you know, do, have, have you had those experiences as well where it's like it's or, or maybe somebody's shared an interpretation or an insight about your book and it's like, wow, I didn't even think about it like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I've been delighted with um, with the reception to She's a Killer is, you know, I really wanted to write a kind of rollicking mm you know, like a, a, a good, fast-paced adventure story, and people have really responded, um, you know, sort of saying, oh, I just, I did actually read it over two days, and, you know, it was really funny, and um, and I think that I used it as a platform to talk about a lot of my kind of um, misgivings about where we're going in terms of, um, you know, um, climate change and or lack of um, policy to mitigate um, climate change. So... Um, yeah, I feel like I kind of, I had my say and, and people um, have responded to that. So, But that book doesn't feel personal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, my previous book felt far more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's that been an interesting experience mm-hmm. as well, you know. Um, yeah. Can I just say something about Kirsten's book? So I've, I've watched Kirsten at book events like this now for some months and I, I, one of the things I love about She's a Killer is it's a bridge between generations in New Zealand. So, you know, attendees at festivals are often, you know, perhaps, you know, not, not always young people. <laughs> and they've embraced the book because it's such a good read. And yet, you know, and it's a bridge between them and their grandchildren, I feel, and I watch the people that come and talk to Kirsten after sessions like this, and you know, you've got you've got eighteen year olds and you've got seventy eight year olds in the same queue, and that's what I love about she's a killer, like because it's so deftly written and it's funny and serious, you know, and it's empathetic to everybody. Um, you know, you see that reflected in the audience and you see it reflected in the people that come and talk to you, Kirsten, mm. uh, at the end of the session. Mm. I think it's a magic book because of that. Thanks, yeah. so. Mm. A live review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how have you found responses from people, you know, t- telling you what your work has meant to them, Rebecca? Oh, I find it incredibly difficult to talk to people, so... I don't, I don't usually get up before like 1 p.m. So this is very difficult for me. Um, <laughs> I I think really I think well. that the thing that the thing that is like meaningful to me is when um, is when like younger Maori people are like I didn't think that we were allowed to write about ourselves, you know, because I don't think that this the book like you know absolutely doesn't fit into the kind of genre like the kind of very few staccato sort of places where people expect Māori writing to be. Like, it's not, um, 
you know, it's not a trauma story, but it's also not uh, a fantasy story or based on kind of myth or legend type thing. But it doesn't kind of sort of discard um, to al Māori as well. So I really like that. Yeah, it really, really means a lot to me when people um, say that they 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 like are glad that they feel like we're allowed to write about ourselves as we are, mm. even if like, I'm very difficult to contact because I, as I say, I just never know what to say to anyone, and then I just feel bad that I don't have anything to say. So sometimes they have to email my friends and then they read it out to me. <laughs> And then make up their own response. I mean, so yeah, someone emailed Mikey about how they how they felt about my book, and then she said, "Okay, I'll, I'm just going to email them back that you writhed in delight when you heard the news." <laughs> like, I'm absolutely not writhing in delight. <laughs> yeah, like that. That means more to me than anything else. But yeah, it is. It is nice when. Oh, and I like it when people give the book to people who aren't readers, and they enjoy it too. I mean, I don't, I don't want to have written a book that's only for people who read books all the time anyway. Mm. I want to write a book that's for people who enjoy story, which, mm. you know, everyone does. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, we, we had that, that, we've touched on it a few times, but this idea of the, you know, intergenerational perspectives, and I just wonder as soon we're going to open up to the floor for questions um, and I'm, I'm wondering like, what do you notice about the development of your work as you look back or what do you hope for the development of your writing as you look forward as, you know, sometimes, sometimes we think, you know, if I could tell myself, give myself one piece of advice before my debut novel now, what would it be? Or, you know, is there anything that you reflect upon about that in terms of the, the various stages of your writing mm. careers that you're at? Yeah, I've had it. I've had that moment, and um, and I think about you know I've only written two novels, so you know early days and these kind of thoughts. But um, the thing I tried to teach myself with loop tracks, which I didn't do with the party line, is stop frequently and think what are the possibilities at this juncture in the book, and not go down the first road, or you may end up going down the first road, but really stop and think, where, what are the other possibilities? Because you do get on a bit of a roll. And, and, you know, I had moments when I think back on that first book that I could have done things differently. And I, I think writers maybe are always re-editing in their imaginations in a way what they could have done with their work, but it's only ever a hindsight thing. You're never going to know that in the moment. And I'm sure there'll be moments in the future where I look back at loop tracks and say, ah, oh, damn, should have done that. You know, I missed an opportunity there. But, um, yeah, just to pause, because I'm a pretty impulsive person generally, and also I'm always in a rush to get things done and try and mitigate future disasters, which, of course, you can never do. But, um, yeah, just take a pause now and again and let the brain kind of circle and just see what, what's in the corner that you might not have seen first time round. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Saying that is easy. Doing it is probably another thing. <laughs> sure, sure. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, I, this book felt to me very plastic, um, that I could kind of throw a number of things at the protagonists and, um, 
and see what happens. And that was a very, I've never experienced that before. It's probably another way of saying what Sue's saying, and it's potentially that I, I've just gotten better at noticing opportunities that I've set up. Um, but yeah, it was a really freeing book to write. So one of, the, I guess the things I've learned from that is um, you, you just really feel like you're having fun all the time. I mean, that should have been obvious to me, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm quite a slow learner, I think. I'm a bit tense. <laughs> um, um, and the other thing is, and um, actually Elizabeth Knox said this to me a number of years ago, and I've got a terrible memory, but I actually wrote this one down, and it was be patient. And I think this mm. is also what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I am terribly impatient and actually really impulsive um, mm. as well. So... Um, Patience, uh, sitting with something, letting it breathe, not letting not letting the kind of embers go out, but letting it breathe and seeing what's there. Um, yeah, that's massive, and it's and it's got me really, really interested in different story forms as well. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, I'm trying to write a play, which is, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing, but you know, I think um, if I started trying to write a play so even five years ago. Um, I would have been, I don't know what I'm doing, I shouldn't do it. But now I'm like, well, actually, I didn't know what I was doing when I was writing this novel either. So, And that's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not impulsive at all. Um, I'm too patient and it annoys people in my life because I'm like, you know, they're like, oh, God, like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, wanting things to happen all the time. And I'm like, I think that in five years it will have worked out. Um. But I think that when I was, when I was, uh, you, I used to think that things needed to be really dramatic in writing to be appealing to anyone or to be exciting or for it to be good writing. And so when I look at my, you know, the things I would write like 10 years ago, I'm like, oh my God, like, why was everyone a spy? And, <laughs> and everyone was like, I'm addicted to drugs. It's because um, I think it's from like growing up as a teenager the like most popular show being Skins just really ruined a whole generation of people thinking that everyone needed to, you know, be concurrently facing drug addiction and a flute recital (laughs) at the same time. But, you know, now, now I don't, now I don't feel like that. And I don't, I mean, I started writing this book four years ago now and I don't really regret anything that I've, written into it I think that it I think that it does what it needs to do yeah yeah but that you know like that the drug addiction and the and the you know needing to do the flute practice at the mm. same time it's um it's a search for plot so I, yeah. I see that in um the younger students I see it in my my children as well when you're young it's mm. like I something needs to happen yeah. so actually that's what that is yes and as you get older mm. you know or as you mature as a writer you go, actually, there can be a whole lot of drama in, um, in a mother and daughter sitting in the kitchen, mm. talking, yeah. arguing. Or not talking. <laughs> or not talking. Like, yeah. Nothing yeah. more dramatic than someone not replying to you. Yeah. 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 What has, you know, yeah. what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, no one, it doesn't need to be a plane crash or anything. Having mm. said that, do you want to write, like, I really want to write, write a car chase at some point in my yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that I could do it. I, I think that, like, my horrible, like, lens would be on it and then the characters would be like, oh, God, we're in a car chase. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be good. Though. Pull over and start laughing. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked it in, in um, She's a Killer, the sort of 
I don't want to give away parts of the story, but there was sort of a domestic uh, domestic scene of you know, was you know this 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 assassin. It's like well, no, it's not like in the movies. It's you know it was very amusing the way you kind of normalised having an assassin sitting in your living room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that, but uh, but I think about that. It's, it goes back to that thing of you know oh you are a writer that must yeah. be amazing. And it's Absolutely, like, no, it's a job. Yeah, it's actually really hard work. Yes, and um and now I just want to sit here and drink my beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm sure assassins are the same. They want to climb off. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, and she needed time to meditate and regroup and rest and eat. Well, and, if yeah. you're going to get someone in one shot, mm. you need to be highly <laughs> focused. She was, in fact, a perfect example of that balance of feminine and masculine energy. And just, <laughs> she went for it. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm going to open up to, to our audience because I'm, I'm sure that you've got questions and, and things that you'd like to ask. And I think we've got a roving microphone here. So, this one over there. How much of a responsibility do you feel to make New Zealand a character and show it in a certain light in your writing? I feel no responsibility apart from to um, be true to my experience as far, as far as I can tell what it is because it's just normal life to me. Um, yeah, I don't... Um, I wanted to show Wellington, actually. I mean, I, in my book, I, I have what I call shit Wellington. And, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be true to that. Because it, yeah. Which I see, I see a real beauty in shit Wellington as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just repeat what Kirsten said, really. You know, it's, you know, it's not presenting New Zealand. It's writing the world around me. Good, bad, and everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just is what it is. But I didn't want to make it seem bad. Like, I like it that people think that Auckland seems quite cool from reading my book. Because, you know, you get a lot of attitude, especially because I wrote the book in Wellington. You get a lot of attitude about being from Auckland wherever you go. But, <laughs> yeah, it was nice that people, you know, they liked it or they thought it seemed more interesting than yeah. they thought. yeah. Um, would you say that your characters are based off people you've met in real life like I'm studying Shakers at the moment which is written by John Godber and he often says that a lot of his characters are based off people he's met in like his town Hull which of course is in North the UK like he said that like he overhears like conversations from like the neighbours at Scoggle on like Sunday night and all that and like people he meets in like the supermarket and like the teenagers that he sees walking through town from like the either the, like, grammar schools or, like, the public schools, like, would you say that your characters are often inspired by people that you've been like, oh, they're a cool person, I want to make them into a character, you know, like, that sort of thing? No, none of my characters are based on real people. Um, I wouldn't, I would feel uncomfortable, because I think when I make a character, I need to know everything about them. So it's much easier for me to make that from scratch than it is to kind of take someone's life and kind of superimpose my own thoughts over that. But I definitely think that with, you know, people who the protagonists kind of pass on the street or things like that, then that would be more likely to be inspired from real life, like walking around. Yeah, I think I, I mean, you know, we write the world we know and that includes the people that we know. And so I kind of 
cherry pick characteristics of people, maybe, or observations about people's complexities of characters, and you ch- and you pull that into something something from here and something from there, and then you've got a new, fully formed, brand new person that you're writing about. I mean, I would never just, for my own safety, write clearly somebody that I knew because they would come after me and they would be <laughs> so entitled to do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of the joy of writing is creating a brand-new person. Yeah. Mm. I recently wrote a story where I um, took something that um, someone quite close to me had said and I, I, asked, I asked if I could use that. After I'd written it, I didn't stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disclosure rather than permission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but all my characters have to come from here. And then yeah. I, you know, maybe pick up the characteristics that I see around, you know, or the way people walk or sit or, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they, I have to feel them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I um, take a, a creative writing club at the college. Um, and you touched on the um, need for plot um some of the um students in the in the club they they feel like they have to write horror first and some of their um some of their insights and some of the way they put their 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 sentences together is is just beautiful but i want to pull them away from um from that horror genre a little bit because i think it's a bit overdone got any suggestions Mm. I'd let them go for it because it'll probably run itself out Mm. Um, and I think that you know maybe they're all watching Stranger Things (laughs) you know so don't underestimate what is going on and you know and their learning plot plot is so hard to get right so let them go at a form they feel comfortable in and they'll learn some sort of architecture framework stuff and then they'll move on because everyone moves on and does other stuff. Or they might not. They might become the next genius horror writer. I don't know. Would you? What would you? Yeah, just go for it. Just, yeah. <laughs> just wait five years. <laughs> get over it. You know, there's only so many things you can write in chiller font before you get sick of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that's very helpful, but... (laughs) I mean, the other thing is, yeah, I would agree, let them write what they want to write because the last thing you want is a kind of a, a, you know, a 16-year-old student who stops writing. You know, just let them let them write. And also there's this amazing... There are amazing stories like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, Kirsten McDougall's Walking Day which, you know, there are elements of horror there, but there's something uh, something different and deeper and, you know, classic literature. And it's kind of like you can steer them towards that material and then they can start looking at what they've been writing and see, you know, a path maybe forward or sideways or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you start with that heavy genre, then you're, like, starting with some scaffolding. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then maybe, you know, if you keep working at it, you'll realise that you don't really need the scaffolding. Uh, you yeah. don't need the scaffolding. You don't need a ghost <laughs> or whatever. And then the story can work without that. Mm. Yeah. I also think horror is a way of expressing some really deep fear and, and, and horror of what is actually going on. So maybe they need it, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I totally think we need to expose 
and I try to do this in my courses as well, exposes the students to lots of different, you know, like if they say to me, oh, I only read fantasy, I will absolutely be giving them realism for the whole trimester <laughs> to go, see, see what it can do. It, can, it does exactly the same thing as fantasy. It's just different. There are no dragons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, throughout your books, do you think that some of your characters, like, take on the characteristics of previous characters that you've written? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, sometimes I'm really concerned that characters are too similar to one another. And then I think in that case, you sort of have to think what about them is unique or different from the other characters and then sort of build on that more than... Yeah, I find like it's hard when you are kind of filling in gaps of a story with additional characters for them to kind of not all appear as sort of the same NPC type person. But yeah, I guess you just have to really like hone in on what is going to make that character different from the others. Mm. I um, Sometimes I think if I've had a really strong character that I carry that the sort of energy of the character into the next thing I'm writing and I go, oh, okay, you need a break here because I'm, I'm just, I need to, it's like kind of shifting gear and getting into another mode. Yeah. Um, I, can't, I can't actually answer that question, Shay. It's a really good question. I'm going to have a think about that. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, there are similar characters in the party line and then in Luke Tracks, similar characters, similar time settings, similar trauma in both the books. And I, it, I agree, Kirsten, it's a really good question because actually that's one reason why the next thing I work on is going to be totally different in every way. And it's almost like I've made a conscious decision to close the door on that um, landscape of life for the time being anyway and go somewhere else um, yeah and it's been a very conscious decision and one I've actually grappled with a little bit and I've taken adv- a lot of advice about and um, yeah so it's I think we've maybe got a comfort zone that we by default find ourselves in and breaking out of that is actually quite a it's a big decision yeah but an exciting one as well I mean, I did it so badly in this book that I accidentally gave two of the sort of background characters the same name. <laughs> I was like, and then the, then there's a, a man who's, you know, late 20s and he's called Ben, and I did it twice. <laughs> and then someone picked up on it and was like, oh, so I didn't realise that, you know, his boss is also his friend. And I was like, I just can't think of any other names for white men. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, the novel is a form that people know about what kind of challenges to that form can you see yourselves looking into down the road I want to write something a lot shorter (laughs) and that's yeah I think that I I taught myself how to be a bit more verbose in this novel and I want to do something quite different next time. But I, I don't actually want to write another novel for quite a while. I want to write other things. Yeah. Play. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I don't really... I don't, a challenging form for me is not something that I find like particularly exciting. But I think that a lot of other people do, so I should leave it to them. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I don't, really, I don't really think about form too much. I just, yeah, I 
if I'm not an expert on something, then I think that I shouldn't try and force myself to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my first two books were short story collections and um, because I was terrified of I always wanted to write a novel from day one, but um, I terrified of the word count, you know. So I'd get to 86 and I'd go, oh, no, there's so many to go. I'll just stop now (laughs) and write another short story. So, you know, again, repeating myself very briefly from yesterday, but it's like the short story is a love affair and the novel is a marriage. And so different requirements from different relationships, you know, short, exciting and, you know, definitely dangerous over here versus, you know, a long, deep commitment with the novel. And now that I'm there, I kind of, I want to stay there a while with the next book. You know, I feel like the novel, you know, it gives you space to breathe. The novel grows as you grow if you take long enough to write it, which, you know, definitely I do. So, um, yeah, I I feel like um, the next book will probably be similar in page length, you know, to this one. Yeah, I want to stay in this space a wee bit longer, yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes people think that if you're a fiction writer, you can write novels and short stories, but I'm actually not very confident in writing short stories, and I'm really impressed by people who can write short story collections and, like, come up with, you know, maybe, like, 10 or 12 completely separate, disjointed or connected ideas. I could never do that. I come up with, like, one idea every 10 years. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But the novel, I mean, it's an amazing enduring form, right? Yeah. It's been around for yeah. quite a while now. Yeah. And it seems to hold a lot. You can throw a lot at it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like being like a triathlete or like a marathon runner. You can't necessarily yeah. like do Switch. other things. Yeah. But yeah. maybe you can like. Yeah, I don't know. I Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like I never know what I'm doing. So I'll just yeah. kind of, you know, <laughs> oh, this might be how they do it. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Well, you you're both impatient, Sue and Kirsten, and <laughs> impulsive. And Rebecca, you're very patient. We're all hoping that their impulsiveness and impatience is going to rub off on you a little <laughs> bit more because none of us want to wait too long before we read any of your next. Uh, works of fiction or plays or whatever because it's just such a pleasure to have had some time with you um, to, to get insight into your processes and your perspectives um, on your your journey as writers. And uh, these authors are available outside to, to sign copies of their books and, and if you, you haven't read the books, you must get yourself a copy today and you have got, you know, birthday presents and Christmas presents and just general like share the love of these <laughs> books, yeah, because and and can I say, having read them in preparation for this, they make a fantastic they're, they're a really fascinating collection to read together, so you know try that as well. Um, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have this time with you, um, and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your time with the Marble Book thank Festival. You. Yeah, yeah thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you.